A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This episode is sponsored by Denise Tomlinson, who donated to Dumpty Dum so has nominated this charity to be highlighted. To nominate a charity, go to dumdydum.com, hit the donate button, and donate £30 or more. WaterAid. WaterAid started in 1981. They are determined to make clean water, reliable toilets, and good hygiene normal for everyone. Throughout the world, one in ten don't have clean water. One in four people don't have a decent toilet. But thanks to people's donations, they've reached 26.4 million people with clean water. That's 26.4 million more healthy and independent people in the world. Please go to www.wateraid.org to support them today. This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that are centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the Jean-Michel Basquiat, who is Royfield Brown, and with me are the Pablo Picasso, who is... Quentin Rayner. And this week's Tracy Emin is... Rosie Porty. This week's Dumpty Dum is from Cincinnati Steve's 60th birthday, folks. Now, Rosie, if somebody would like to send us in a Dumpty Dum, how can that be done? If you'd like to sing us a Dumpty Dum, or leave us a plot prediction... Then call us on 0203 031 3105, leave us a message on SpeakPipe, or send a text starting with DUMB to 07786 200690. We also should say thanks to our social media supremos, 
Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, and Shambridge for her voices, and of course, the effervescent Lucy D. Freeman. On this week's episode, we hear views from New York Nigel, uh, Angela, Young Keith, Mia in Newcastle, Jonah Manjaz, he's back and with a spoon. But first, it's Amber's The Week That Was in Ambridge. Hello, Dumpty Dum. I'm Amber, and on This Week in Ambridge... Helen tries to convince Kirsty to just trust the police to do their job. Ah, yes, because we all know how affirmatively the police act when it comes to missing vulnerable people who no one is looking for. Gavin has handed himself into police to evilly conspire against poor, not-guilty Philip, saintliest and most benevolent of men. That is, until you dare challenge him, in which case you're a sanctimonious cow and he is a nasty pasty. Mince and Lizzie are on the piss, and Russ is unhappy at their reaction to his potential new exhibition, the Edinburgh Woollen Mill on tour. Mince offers to buy one of the woolly jump knitted installations for his home, but doesn't miss the opportunity to demolish arrogant Russ for his snobbery by flexing his own enormous art muscles. And that was the week in Ambridge. Thank you for that, Amber. Now, uh, it's that it's that time, folks. It's the burning hot topic of the week. So without any further ado, I'm going to go a button pressing. Right, Quentin, what is this week's hot topic of the week? It's not so much a hot topic, uh, Royfield, I'd say a hot observation, because I think the hot topic oh. is probably Shula Phillip, isn't it, and all that, and mm. all that threw up. But I think the, the hot observation uh, was picked up by uh, Little Kim. I noticed a tweet of hers, who I think is a neighbour of yours, isn't she, Rosie, up in Edinburgh? Yes, she is. So Little Kim's one of my favourite tweeters, even though she doesn't follow, follow well, me. Well, well, isn't she some kind of 90s rap artist, Little Kim? Little Kim. Oh, sorry. Little As Kim. in... The, the supermarket as opposed to yes. African-American rapper. Okay. Yes. Seriously. My gosh, we have giants walking amongst us here. We've got Alex <laughs> coming up next week as well as Little yes. <laughs> So as I was oh, saying, sorry, Quentin, don't get back to us on the supermarket sorry. chain here, sorry. please. Uh, so Little Kim, who is one of my favourite tweeters, who doesn't follow me back, but I'm not, I'm not bitter about that at all. Anyway, I noticed that Little Kim tweeted, um, is it most hated characters week on the archers. And I thought, do you know what? Maybe she's got a point because it got me thinking there were an awful lot of characters this week. I thought the character count was very high. I know I'm treading on Mike Hatton's territory here. So it got me in my anoraki way, totting up all the characters. And I counted 14 this week, mm. of which eight of those 14, I would say, are definite candidates on people's most annoying list. And so I would obviously put on there. Ruth, David, Lee, Helen, Shula, Philip, and Russ. The wonderful Russ is back this week. So I thought, that, I don't know about you, but I thought there were an awful lot of characters on this week. Well, it was jam-packed, wasn't it? They just, it seemed like there's sort of been a, a lull, and then we had a whole load of returners. So Lee's obviously back from his mini break with Helen and the boys and is treating patients with long covid in Felpersham, which I thought was really interesting. And then, yeah, kind of bumping into Kirsty in that bus station, which was very yeah, random. Was odd, wasn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah. It raised, that raised some other questions as well, didn't it? Lee and, and Kirsty, uh, you know, saying, oh, you're in terrible danger and all this. Somebody, somebody else pointed out on Twitter, it's not like it was downtown Chicago, Chicago or somewhere, was it? I mean, this is Felpersham, isn't it? There might be a couple. <laughs> I don't think she was in great danger, do you? Anyway, so yeah, so Lee was back. And of course, Russ, the joy of Russ. He brings me great pleasure in a sort of dreadful way. I, I I do miss it when Russ isn't there. So that was great to have Russ back, but he's definitely on the on the most annoying list, definitely. Certainly number one on the pretension list. Uh, any other candidates you go for that merited inclusion? I think in terms of characters who we love to hate or love to be irked by is probably a little bit more accurate. Irked, yes. I, yeah, I think that list is utterly spot on but there is something incredibly delicious and monumental about russ that i'm marveling at the construction of him as a character yes like i just think it's levels of genius of which they've the script writers have actually surpassed themselves with russ the terrible thing is through all of his pretension Actually, what he says makes complete and utter sense to me. So when he talks about art, I'm wondering what that says about me, really. But I, I just, I love Russ. I know I'm not supposed to. I don't understand him in terms of his relationship uh, with Lily, but I love every second that character is on mic. He's odious, he's dreadful, but he's wonderful. I mean, he's... The main thing is I can put up my my photo of that um, slimy slug on Twitter whenever he appears. So that gives me great joy straight away. He is so constructed to be utterly gut-wrenchingly awful. Um, Toe-curling, isn't he? Um, I mean, anybody who talks about a, an artist, and was, well, he's a knitter, isn't he, Jacob, this artist, this great artist? Jacob Portland, I think, is the artist. He's a yes, incredibly surprising. His work was incredibly surprising, wasn't it, according to Russ? Yes. Um, mm. And... Uh, it brought a sense of totality, which I thought was was very meaningful, <laughs> and the interesting synergy as well. Um, but of course, that teed up that wonderful scene with Vince this week, and I thought, pardon the pun, Vince was going to make mincemeat of him, but he didn't actually. <laughs> and what emerged, of course, was that Vince knows his contemporary art, which was a lovely surprise. So that was that was all fun, and I think we needed that, didn't we? Because we knew that we we're in for a, a, a belly full of, of Philip and Shula. Just before we we go on and have a belly full. Rosie, you're a cultured woman up there in uh, in Scotland's capital. You know, let's say there isn't a global pandemic and you're just freely going about your business over there in Edinburgh. Do you like to uh, frequent art galleries? Do you buy art? Are you a patron of the arts? I am indeed a, you know, patron of the arts, as well as being a patron of this podcast, Royfield. Um, well, well, the funny, one of the wonderful coincidences that has come out of Dumpty Dum Universe is that one of last week's caller in is Jane, is an artist from mm. Glasgow, who has actually had her art in my local um, mini art gallery in Portobello. And I've seen her art in the flesh, as it were, not in terms of a Lady Gaga meat dress, but in terms of Jane's beautiful <laughs> oil paintings. So isn't that a wonderful kind of indication of the creative community that Dumpty Dum really is? Mm. 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 
Absolutely. How about you, Quentin, over there in the East Midlands? I don't believe that you people really go in for contemporary art over there. Do you more kind of rock paintings and things like that? You know? oh, God, what a terrible characterization of <laughs> Neanderthals in the East Midlands. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to do an appalling piece of um, uh, name dropping. Can I do a bit of name dropping here? Oh, yeah, listen, uh, we queue you up once a month just for that, Quentin. Okay. So you go for it, sir. One of the biggest thrills in my 36 years at the BBC was um, I had to go and do the um, the opening of a brand new art gallery in Nottingham called the Nottingham Contemporary. The opening exhibition was a retrospective of David Hockney. Wow. So this £60 million building was to be opened with this retrospective stuffed full of old Hockneys, which collectively were worth far more than this brand new building. Anyway, the great man himself came up to open the, the, the new gallery. And I, I got the chance to spend about an hour and a half just with David Hockney going round the gallery, looking at his retrospective. So there I was with uh, arguably Britain's greatest living artist going round looking at his own art, including the big splash. You know, his famous one was up on the wall mm. as well. And unbeknownst to me was a, a photographer was, because I, I was preoccupied with the filming, but a photographer, stills photographer, was going around taking shots of us. And one of my most treasured possessions is a photograph of me and David Hockney in front of the big splash, or the biggest splash. And um, that's, I, re I really treasure that. So there you go. That's my appalling bit of name dropping. But, uh, you know, you go around these exhibitions, don't you? And normally, the, I often think, oh, wouldn't it be great to be here with the artists looking at this, at looking at their art? Most of them are all, obviously, you're never going to do that. And oftentimes they're dead, but there I was with, with the living artist himself. So that was fascinating. He wasn't that interested in the art itself. You've got a real sense that once he's done something, he just moves on. What he was interested in was the condition of the art. He, he, he really looked very closely to see how well they'd aged materially. But in terms of the art itself, he's on to the next project, I, 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 I sense. <laughs> and what he really wanted to talk about, there'd been a recent smoking ban introduced and he was really furious about it. He kept wanting to talk about this smoking ban, which had nothing to do with the piece, obviously. So in the end, I decided to ask him some questions. I thought, well, our health correspondent might be, it might be useful to him one day. <laughs> so I asked him about the smoking ban and 10 minutes later, he, he finished his answer. But... Um, and the other thing I noticed was that he was, he was really into photography as well. And he, he had a couple uh, smartphones, his two Apple phones, uh, iPhones, and um, he was on them all the time. And he obviously was doing doodles and art on it, but they were just sort of falling out of his pockets, you know. And I just <laughs> kept thinking, imagine one of these fell out onto the pavement, you know, and you picked it up. How much would that iPhone be worth with all those original Hockneys on? But there you go. Yes, very interesting. It was great to meet him. A, a huge thrill, huge thrill, yeah, for me. Name dropping over. That's just amazing, Quentin. Yes, 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 yes. It's one of those days you never forget, yeah. Did I get the, the picture right? Is it the bigger splash or the big splash? The bigger splash, isn't it? I thought, I thought I it was the big blue, but I could be completely wrong. The Dumpty Dumbers will correct us. Mm. It's certainly got splash in it. Talking about an artist of, of words, um, Ben Norris, very clever young man. He is. Um, doesn't often know how to uh, paint a picture, uh, but with words. He will be joining us this Friday, 7 p.m. UK time for a Friday Zoom. He's going to he's properly up for it. He's all excited. He's pumped. And uh, we need you, Dumpty Dummer, 
good dum dum listener to join us. We will put the link on the Flick app. Big up to the Flick app, posse. And also, we'll put it up on Facebook. Now, he's from Nottingham. Nottingham. Though, actually, yes, he is. Yes, he is. But uh, I'm trying to remember why he supports Luton. I think his dad's (laughs) from Luton. What? Yes, yes. It kind of threw me. When you said he's from Nottingham, yes, he completely is, but he supports Luton Town. So if you are listening to this and you don't have access to Facebook or the Flick app, uh, DM either me, Royfield, or Dumdy Dum, and I'll give you the full credentials so you can log on safely and securely. Uh, we will be streaming this on the YouTubes, uh, so we will put a link to this on Twitter, because if you want to find us on YouTube, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be Ben Norris, Mr. Blue Eyes, I believe they call him, uh, and he's as handsome as hell, but also blooming clever too. Now, where are we with this hot top, or oh, sorry, this observation of the week? In terms of sort of the most annoying characters in the universe of the week, David and Shula have had some character reversals this week, I think. So for me, David, I do find him quite irritating a lot of the time. And I find Shula pretty irritating too. But I thought that David really came out of himself this week in a really positive way when he was talking to Rex. And there was a huge amount of self-awareness. So actually what happened for me this week was that David began the week on my annoying list and moved across to my pretty good list. I thought David really improved this week. So he's actually gone up in my estimation. He was very magnanimous, wasn't he, with Rex? I, th- I think he made the observation before we came on air, Rosie, that he, <laughs> he'd make a better priest, a better vicar than Shula. He would because he's... He was very humble in his conversation with Rex about the social media stuff because he recognised that he'd completely blown it in terms of his procurement practices and he knew that he'd made a massive mistake. And so he was able to look at what Rex had done and kind of realise that in the grand scheme of things, one social media post isn't quite as bad as hiring a slave master. St. David then, isn't it? St. David all the way. Cool. So we have one less person on the annoying list then. David right. Archer has officially left it. He's off. Yeah, he's off it. I, the, the, the ones I kept off the list of 14 were Kirsty, Alistair, Brian, and Vince. So they're not mm. on it. Everybody is scrambling to rehabilitate what they uh, – reappraise, sorry, what they think about old Vince Casey, aren't they? Oh, you know, he's, he's lovely. I just think he's just Jack Woolley. He's Jack Woolley. They've just dragged up another older Brummy businessman who's bit – brash a bit flash and we're going to end up loving him and long may he continue in the village but at the 80 minutes mark of recording i'm going to do this hello average 3962 first off we start with a double header it's our mia she's going to be followed by new york nigel Hello, Royfield and all Dumpty Dum peeps worldwide. This is Mia in Newcastle land, caller in a ring. I'd been wondering why the outgoing US president didn't try and pardon himself as he left office. I mean, whether he could have done legitimately or not, I don't know. But I did kind of expect him to. But then I realised it's because he doesn't actually believe he's done anything wrong in order to warrant a pardon. In fact, in his delusional state, he's convinced he's done everything right and should probably be awarded a medal or something. And he's completely dumbfounded why everyone else can't actually see this too. It's the same with Philip. 
as demonstrated by his words to Shula. Now, Shula. Well, we had a bit of a chit-chat on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group about her actions. It's not just that she isn't yet an ordained priest, but it's that she confused herself with her own position in regards to Philip. As a chaplain myself in a university institution, I know how hard it can be to keep boundaries in place, but it was absolutely imperative for her, as she not only had been friends with Philip, but she might also be called as a material witness in his case. She should have kept her distance. As chaplains, we are not saviours. That's the whole point. There is a prison chaplain available to Philip. We know this because he referred to them. And Shula should have really advised him to speak with them if he was serious about it and not felt guilty about this. Hard for St. Shula, I know. I mean, obviously, it wasn't counsel that Philip was seeking, but to try and manipulate Shula into taking his side. So her visit wasn't actually a pastoral one, and she should have left immediately this became clear. I mean, she shouldn't have gone at all, but well, you know, Shula. I do want to, however, reiterate that chaplains are there to offer spiritual support and guidance, and this can very often be tough and challenging. We're not pushovers. But those people who genuinely seek reparation and are prepared to work hard and move forward on their journey can really benefit from the pastoral support of a chaplain. Philip is not. And I have to say, Shula is a crap companion. Anyway, that's all. Thank you all very much, Royfield and everyone, for all you do. And I hope to see you on the Zoom. Bye. Hello, Dumpty Dummers everywhere. New York Nigel here. Before I talk about Saviour Shula, friend of slavers, I'm going for the Fair Brothers. I've never seen the point of them. Yep, novel idea, get them back into Ambridge. But, you know, listen, brothers own careers, professional rugby player working in the city of London. Which of the two brothers said how fabulous it would be to jack it all in and move to the village where our father's half-sister was once married to the farmer who took over the land our grandfather brought? You know, what are Rex and Toby for? The, the only thing that they've contributed to the story, as far as I can see, is to give vapid little Pip a bit of character interest. I know, you know, their broy beer cracking and gin making makes a nice change from Peggy and Jill running up curtains or rubbing up scones, whatever they do. But they do nothing to make the archers more appealing to younger people. Anyway, sooner they bugger off the better, as far as I'm concerned. Now, Shula, any wannabe priest with a bit of instinct can spot a narcissist a mile off. We deal in communities, not individuals. Narcissists are not good at communities. With somebody like Philip, you tell them what to do. You don't try and be their friend, let alone think you can save them. You can't. So just say what you think. Be brutal. Be kind at the same time. Never make it about yourself. You say, go to the prison chaplain, confess, get therapy. I can't give that to you. Never be soppy. I don't know how Shula's story is going to progress. But at the moment, she thinks she can save people. She's supposed to be just a bit older than me, and she's had a lot more experiences in personal relationships than I have. But she still comes over as somebody who completely lacks a basic instinct, well, to love herself. You know, it's well written. She's far more like her father than her mother. Goodness me, was that, was that the end of Nigel? That just sort of stopped out of nowhere. I was just completely blown away by that. I mean, I think 
Uh, Nigel has obviously hit it on the head with Shula in the sense that she doesn't understand her role as a priest. She doesn't understand her role in a pastoral setting. She doesn't understand that boundaries are super important. And Mia mentioned that as well. I mean, I think it's incredibly important that when dealing with somebody like Philip, who is a narcissist, who is a psychopath, you need to be very, very careful how you engage with that kind of individual. And Shula has just not learned any lessons. I'm not sure what course she's been on, but it's not been a good one. And I think what this is sort of showing us is that her pastoral journey is going to have to come to an end because she's not an effective engager with the community. She's far too self-centered. She doesn't understand her role. And effectively, she's also interfering with a major police investigation. So what she's actually doing is harming the case against Philip by engaging in dialogue with him, when in reality, the minute he said to her he didn't want to pray and have a conversation about his, you know, his guilt, because he doesn't believe he is guilty, as Mia said, she should have walked away. Quentin, do you agree with my kind of harsh assessment of Shula's pastoral journey? Not at all. I think I think what it's finally revealed uh, is that she's completely out of her depth, isn't she? Uh, she's not cut out for this. Um, the, the first indication was when she panicked when she received that phone call from Philip and didn't even know what to do. Um, and now she was completely exposed in that exchange with Philip, you know, she's a, a woman in her early 60s, I guess. Uh, so you'd think she would have, as New York Nigel said, enough life experience to cope with this. So I think hopefully she'll go away from this and realise it ain't for her. And I know that in a f Facebook post, Mia Fox actually said that, didn't she? That, um, yeah, this is the turning point for Shula and it's time to call it a day. In a narrative, dramatic sense, it also helps us out as well because the script writers would probably have to put her somewhere else if she went for accuracy. So that, that would take her out of Ambridge and she's too important a, a character for that as well. Both our caller winners are, are people of the cloth. They know what they are talking about. I think some people might say, <laughs> might take issue with New York Nigel, who says that she lacks the basic in instinct to love herself. Uh, a common criticism of Shula is that she's incredibly self-centered and sanctimonious and that she only thinks about herself and loves herself a bit too much. So perhaps not everybody will agree with that. Uh, but I, I also think that that whole exchange with Philip was very interesting as well, because it did make us all think about how we kid ourselves that we are perhaps helping the homeless in his twisted, narcissistic way. He was justifying it, wasn't he, that he was helping the, those in need, the, the homeless, by giving them a roof over their head, by giving them something to eat and something to do. That's how he justified it in his twisted way. And he challenged her. He said, yeah, so, you know, you, people like you go, go out and buy a, a magazine or put a few pennies in, in a tin. You think you've done your bit. And I think that continued the, the theme that was started last week of all the hand-wringing in Ambridge about, oh, my word, you know, why do we accept that really low quote? We're, we've um, used slave labor. So the hand-wringing is continuing uh, because I think what that lobbed in for us as a listener was he's a loathsome character, but the point he was making to all of us is, are we all kidding ourselves that we're doing enough to help the homeless by buying the odd big issue magazine and so forth? And um, that certainly was picked up by a number of people on, on social media, I noticed. And uh, that was a clever, clever device by the scriptwriters, I thought, because 
you wanted to loathe him and we did loathe him. He saw his twisted mind at work, but he had to concede, mm, yeah, he's made a point. Well, I was going to say, I mean, in terms of, I think, I mean, Ambridge has a bit of a his- history with homeless people in the sense that we had Daryl many years ago, who I think Alistair met through Gambas Anonymous, and the village did step in to try and support him. And then after Helen's release from prison, she and Pat were helping out at the Elms and then bumped into Alwyn, Pat's old friend from Greenham Common days. And what was kind of interesting about that was that um, living with Pat and her leek soup was so unbearable, Alwyn went back on the streets <laughs> to get away from her. <laughs> that was Alison Steadman, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, she was utterly wasted in, in that role. Uh, but if you remember with Daryl, it was St. Shula who was trying to to save him. And and Daryl just basically had enough, if, if, I, if I seem to remember. Uh, but it was it was very much was a Shula kind of storyline in terms of help and support and uh, et cetera uh, with Daryl. Well, I think there's a theme of sort of the kind of well-intentioned but poorly executed support, isn't there? So we have a lot of well-meaning people in Ambridge who don't actually really understand how to support effective outreach. Whereas I think if actually um, a conversation was held with Alan, I think he has direct links into, say, the Elms and other charities. And you could actually get some good guidance and support that way. Whereas I think probably Philip... And there may have been a grain in truth in terms of what he said about the kind of the glancing, you know, looking at somebody on the street, maybe buying the big issue, but then walking on by. So there probably was a bit of truth in that kind of mirror he was holding up to, not just, you know, the archers, but the listeners too. Yes, definitely. And what do we make of um, Philip's final line of the week? What sort of priest is a bad-tempered cow like you going to make? Was that justified? <laughs> was that justified? <laughs> I think most people would agree, wouldn't they? Uh, Philip was speaking for us, the listeners, then, yes. wasn't he? he? That was that hit home so yes, hard, and we were connected with it, and we were on yeah. the side of a, a modern slave. I went, oh gosh, you know. yeah, I know. Which is again good drama, wasn't it? Because you yeah. were agreeing with somebody who is repulsive, but is actually speaking a truth. It'll be interesting. I mean, those are the last words ringing in Shula's ears. So whether she'll go off and um, throw in her dog collar, we'll, we shall see. Nigel also said, what's the point of the Fair Brothers?" And, you know, when he put it like that, I remember thinking when they turned up, I did think, why are you here? <laughs> what, what possible motive do you have to come from your cosmopolitan lives to go and live in Ambridge? And I, he's right. I can't think of one, really. You've got a prodigious memory for these things, Rosie. Can you think of why they turned up? When they first arrived, there was a whole load of hoo-ha because their dad had an affair with Lizzie, I believe. So I think their their dad was one of the <laughs> the one or two men that Lizzie has held hands with over the years. And um, and then there was this some strange linkage back through to Grace Archer, I think. And I don't know. There's all sorts of sort of tangled history there. But well, and also, I mean, Toby got to test out the bouncy castle with Kate, which was a bit of humorous relief <laughs> when when that broke. And, you know, produced the lovely Rosie, who in terms of um, Pip's priority oh. list, I think she's number 17 after her innovative farming, the little meter she uses to look at the grass, um, concrete schemes, Toby, 
and young farmers. At some point in that list is her child. I'm not quite sure where it is. And I think, as I said on Twitter, I think if, if Pip was in a lineup in a police station, I'm not sure Rosie would actually be able to pick her out, given the lack of time we spend together. <laughs> well, they initially were brought back for nostalgia. It wasn't by accident that about a year before they turned up, or 18 months, we had Carol Tregoran come back. And this is a call back to the 50s and the 60s when there were Tregorans and there were Fairbrothers. So that was a deliberate uh, measure by the last um, head honcho, uh, just uh, for, for older listeners, just to bring back old families. But of course, right. Carol has just gone, disappeared. And I, I think you are correct quentin you know and, and i think new york nigel is in terms of actually thematically what is the point of the fair brothers other than just nostalgia initially and i had to go back and do some reading off about this some time ago but the fair brothers in effect were kind of the aldridges in that the old brian aldridge was the biggest landowner in the village from the 70s 80s going onwards that used to be the fair brothers so they were the top of the pile in terms of, you know, land holdings in, in Ambridge. And yes, then, I don't know, through, I think, the 70s, they kind of disappeared, and then there was the affair with Lizzie, etc. And Grace Archer was a fair brother, so they were an important family, but, you know, yes, they've kind of disappeared somewhat, and were they brought back for nostalgia. But I said, yeah. thematically, yes, why are they there now? I don't really know. But I think the other point that, that Nigel made, which was a fair one, pun not intended, is are they there to help younger listeners? And I would say that there isn't quite enough of them and they're not young enough. Yes, we have a bit of artisanal gin making, but that's you know fairly kind of middle class, isn't it, really? It's not as if they, they, you know, they're going out raving and whatever and uh, taking drugs and present pandemic accepted, but you get my drift. They don't feel particularly young in and of themselves. It's not like Ben and Rory, late teenagers, early 20-somethings. I find both Fairbrothers quite personable, to be honest. I, I like um, them too. Rex, Rex has found a backbone as well recently. He's told the archers what he thinks. In the wider scheme of things, yeah, you go, why are they there? What is their ultimate plot purpose sure. other than it's an old family name to bring it back to the village, etc., and to reunite, you know, and to have, in effect, another Grace Archer for Talash Fairbrother. Anyway, uh, New York Nigel, think, oh, the, Mia did say one thing about Donald Trump and why he didn't pardon himself. And this is slightly disagree with you, Mia, because very Obviously, Philip Moss is in some level of self-denial as to actually truly what he's done. I'm not so sure how much Donald Trump is in self-denial as in he's just utterly deluded. But Donald Trump, to pardon himself, he would have to admit his crime. And if you're going to pardon yourself as an admission of guilt, and then as a purely slightly arcane point, if you look at the Southern District of New York and his tax problems, that is not a federal thing which he could even pardon himself for anyway. That's, that's state. So there are many kind of legal uh, reasons why he couldn't actually pardon himself. But also um, to pardon yourself is to admit guilt, even if he could pardon himself, which is another constitutional 
quandary. Anyway, moving swiftly on, and that was uh, Royfield Brown doing Mid-Atlantic. Now we're going to have Jonah Manjaz. Hi, Jonah Manjaz here. Time's got away from me the last couple of weeks and not managed to phone in. Uh, Just got a couple of points to make this week. The scriptwriters seem to be doing a bit of a compare and contrast with two new relationships, and I don't really like either of the new relationships for different reasons. Uh, There's Jazza and Tracy. I think it's very lazy writing. They seem to think, oh, there's two working class characters who are quite popular. Let's just stick them together. Not realising that working class people can have totally separate world outlooks. And I just don't believe the relationship at all. And the second one is Elizabeth and Vince. kind of get that Elizabeth finds Vince a bit of a laugh. And they're trying to show with his art knowledge that he's got hidden depths. But that all may be true. Uh, And I really dislike judging a book by its cover, which obviously everyone did, first of all, with Vince, before he showed any endearing qualities whatsoever. And now I'm willing to accept he's got some good qualities, but he's still a smarmy arsehole. And nothing really would change that. And he's just totally different to anyone that Elizabeth's really shown herself being attracted to in the past. Anyway, we'll see how they pan out. It may just be a strategy for him to get rid of Russ somehow and make him look like the idiot that he is. And I'm hoping that's the only purpose of Vince and this relationship, because I just think it's ridiculous. Anyway, speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Holy moly, smarmy arsehole. Are we listening to the same programme? (laughs) (laughs) So for me, like Vince is the ultimate contrast to Russ in the sense that Russ was tailor-made to be in Private Eye's Sood's Corner, and his intellect, his knowledge of art, society, politics is wafer-thin, and it's incredibly easy for anybody to really skewer Russ, but nobody has to date other than Tracy. And I have to take a bit of an issue again with Jonah here in terms of you know, the Jazzer and Tracy relationship. A number of people have sort of looked at this in a way of, well, they're both working class and it's just a kind of lazy approach to script writing. But in terms of the character arcs of both Tracy and Jazza, they're both complex, intelligent, interesting, warm human beings who fancy each other. I don't think it's because their parents weren't born with silver spoons in their mouth at all. I think as a genuine physical connection, that's what I heard anyway, in terms of the overnight episodes at gyms. And why shouldn't Lizzie have a bit of a shag with a man who runs a meatpacking plant? What is wrong with that? For me, you know, once you hit that age, her kids are in their 20s. She runs a stately home. Her husband was murdered by her brother. Doesn't she just, she's had depression. She's got a strange on-off button in her chest. Doesn't she deserve a good seeing too? (laughs) You're making me sound like Iron Man. (laughs) She does. She has this on-off button, doesn't she, for her heart? Yes. I completely had forgotten about that. And, uh, yeah, but it's like Iron Man and he's, he's got a strange on and off button with his art <laughs> reactor. But anyway, yes. Um, st- stunningly rebutting our Jonah Man Jazz. What do you reckon, Quentin? Um, there are elements of what he says that I agree with. Um, 
I was pushing for hashtag Trazer. I, I, I wanted it to happen. And when it did, I was a bit disappointed. I, I suddenly felt a bit, oh, do I want this to happen now? Because it's, you know, it's a classic, you know, the chase is, is always the exciting thing. And then when it happened, it's a bit of an anticlimax, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> Were you I, expecting more like episode five of Bridgerton? Were you just expecting like 12 minutes of deep sighing and, you know, the <laughs> rattle of a bed frame? <laughs> and the rip of a bodice. Um, no, I just, I just, I didn't want it to happen. Isn't that strange? I, I wanted it to happen. Then when it did happen, I was a bit sort of, oh, it's happened. The anticipation, I, I, I was really enjoying more than anything else, I think. And I hope it, if it does continue, it doesn't cramp their style because they're both free spirits. And, you know, we both want some happiness, but equally we um, selfishly want to enjoy them as characters. And I hope they don't suffocate themselves a bit stifle them a bit we, we shall see we shall see um elizabeth and vince that seems more of a natural fit oh god all these euphemisms but um <laughs> or as, uh, Ross said, on, how, 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 how do you cram it all in ross asked me. Um, <laughs> with difficulty i imagine um, i think vince is packing well <laughs> Well, he's he, he's he's a meat dealer, isn't he? So there you go. Um, and we also discovered that Liz doesn't swallow. I mean, you know, it's oh. all there, wasn't it? It was all there. Blindfolds, you can even name it. Um, sore heads the next morning. So it was it, it was uh, it's, it's a rough and the smooth, isn't it? I can sort of understand that attraction more, and I felt more comfortable with it. It's funny when you know they woke up the next morning and Russ discovered them sort of moaning and groaning with their hangovers. It. I, I didn't feel uncomfortable or disappointed or surprised, but when Jazza and Tracy were uh, sort of trying to avoid Jim the next morning, I was a bit sort of, oh, that's how I felt. That's how I felt. Goodness. At, at the heart of, and this is only what I've said before, at the heart of the great relationships, the most touching relationships in the Archers is some sense of opposites attracting um, and they don't have to be sexual relationships. So we've had Freddie and Linda. Here are two characters who you wouldn't normally put together. We've had Tracy and Oliver. They're yes. just friends. Mm. And th there is an alchemy with these two disparate chemicals yes. Yes. put together. With this, it just feels a bit lazy. Um and that is n not to take away from the two characters. It's not to take away from the writing. But if you just, if you're going to, sorry, are you together... talking about Elizabeth and Vince or Tracy? Oh no, 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 sorry, Tracy, Tracy, and and Jazza. Right, it just yeah. feels a little bit yeah. lazy. And yeah. again, it's nothing to do with Tracy. Nothing to do with Jazza per se. But yeah. just in terms of the putting together of these two characters, it's incredibly obvious so i understand your sense of slight disappointment when it actually then happens we we both have great sympathy and warmth for both of the characters yeah i've never really been able to understand why the character of jazz has never been able to have more mic time whether that is him leading a storyline or him just having a, a proper partner partner who's actually in the village you know, yes. not somebody's knocking off on on his milk round. I, I, I think I, I think I've kind of really made the point. It's just it's so obvious. You don't get the textual contrast. I'm sounding a bit like Russ now. Textual or the kind of the bedsheet contrast. Mm. 
Well, I don't know whether I'm just being taken away with episode five and six of, of Bridgerton, but if there had been a little bit of headboard yeah. uh, knocking, um, I actually would have quite liked that because we have had proper sex on the archers before. You know, we have had Jolene coming out of the shower oh, after a, you know a steamy moment with with Sid. So there is precedent for this stuff, you know. <laughs> You want to go so, through it again? <laughs> well, not necessarily Sid and Jolene, because that'd be necrophilia, wouldn't it? You know, Sid being dragged up from, from, from the dead. But that is going you know, a bit we have the had... necrophilia. It is. Incest. So you, you, you wanted a bit of headboard action, did you, Ryfield? Well, it would have been a thing. You know, I don't, but I, I don't know. It's it's, it's it's all to do with me and my Netflix watching. Uh, but just while, while, whilst I'm on it, because I know that we time is a ticking, Utterly lovely and charming. If you can, please watch WandaVision if you've got access to Disney+. And yes, I like my superheroes to go biff, boff, bang, and for them to have laser beams coming out of their eyes. But this is just such a lovely homage to um, 50s and 60s American sitcoms. It's completely and utterly bewitched, the Dick Van Dyke show. Each episode is shot in black and white with the studio audience. And it's this ordinary suburban couple. One just happens to be a witch. The other one just happens to be a robot living in suburban America. It's utterly delightful. Uh, so that's my TV watching uh, recommendation of the week. But now let's go to the Upper Lower East West Side. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers and to all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. First, a tip of my Yankee cap to Matthew, who last week made a subtle reference to the 1960s American sitcom Green Acres. In it, a wealthy Manhattan couple, hardworking Oliver and socialite Lisa, played with delicious accented silliness by Ava Gabor, decide to become farmers, kind of like the journey of Rex and Toby, with Toby filling the high-heeled shoes of Lisa. The show was laughably dumb, but featured a classic intro song, which created a lifetime earworm for American baby boomers. I hope that Royfield will be so kind as to play out today's Dumpty Dum with it. Second, Last week, I also shook my head in agreement with Peter when he admitted that he doesn't think he'd feel the same amount of guilt as the residents of Ambridge continue to feel regarding Philip. I was struggling with the same thing. The residents of Ambridge were duped, and Philip, an excellent con man, continues to try to con, so don't be too hard on yourselves, David and others. But I can make an early suggestion for Alan's Lent Appeal. Make a contribution to Unseen and then volunteer at a homeless shelter or help David rebuild the barn once he tears it down. Nah, I don't really think he's going to do that. And that brings us to Shula. Boy, does she need a clinical supervisor. New York Nigel has been nominated for the job on Facebook. What's she doing at this point in her training thinking she was experienced enough to be a spiritual advisor to Philip? We do understand her anger, but then wasn't the time to vent at him. She made a mistake in visiting. However, it was most illuminating for us to hear their conversation. Talk to you soon. Well, the Witherspoon is completely in agreement, I think, with the majority of us that Shula made an error of judgment in her decision to go to the prison and to continue the dialogue with Philip. And he is being kind to the, the residents of Ambridge and others in terms of the, the hand-wringing that's going on. Although I would say that 
I think for a number of people in the village, they really should have done more procurement checks. So in terms of like Justin Elliott, who's now been booted out of BL, weirdly, I'm not quite sure how all of the mechanics around their board structure operates, but because I thought, um, was it Devara, the, uh, the company he owns? I thought they actually owned BL, but I think that Justin definitely was well aware that he was getting a knockoff rate and he should have carried out more due diligence in relation to what Philip was actually doing. I mean, Quentin, what's your kind of view on the, the collective hand-wringing going on right now? And is it is it realistic that folk would be behaving this way? Um, I, I, yeah, I can, I, I can sort of understand it suddenly, that sort of uh, pang of guilt and realisation that um, we knew we were getting a bargain here and we didn't ask any questions. So I think that that does ring true. I was getting rather tired of how extensive it was becoming. I thought, oh, we're really going to go around the entire village and hear everybody's angst about this. So I'm glad that's come to an end. And we've already discussed, haven't we, that the hand-wringing has continued with the you know, the question posed by Philip, you know, well, what have you done? What what would you do? How have you helped? And, you know, it's all very well spending a night in a tent or buying a an issue of, of of big issue, but what have you really done? So I think that that has kept the guilt prod prodding. So I think that has been good writing, but I'm glad the previous hand-wringing stopped. What, what I'm, I'm staggered by, and I'm just picking myself up off the floor, is that Witherspoon is actually in agreement with Peter about something. I mean, this has surely got to be a first, hasn't it? I, mean, I this, think it's a red is, day. This is breaking big news, isn't it? I mean... Sorry, Witherspoon agrees with Peter. Witherspoon says to us, don't be too hard on ourselves. So, you know, maybe peace peace reigneth across the pond, at least for a week. Staggering. It must be the impact of the uh, inauguration of Biden and a sense of relaxation <laughs> and peace to the world that's suddenly impacting him in this way, which I like. So more of that, please. It's good to hear. Will it last? Stay tuned. From the upper lower east west side, we go to Young Keith, and I can't remember where Young Keith is, but for all intents and purposes, is in your ears, folks. Hello, Young Keith here. I think I've missed the deadline. I think I'm not going to make it into this week's Dum to Dum, but that's okay. Um, I did try to leave a message earlier on, well, very early this morning as I was walking to work, but I was not able to. My technology let me down. Anyway, forget it. That's totally boring. Yes, just listened to the omnibus this morning, and I continuity police here once again, and it's food based once again. In fact, I've got a couple of food based issues if I've got time. The first thing is, Kirsty was very much at pains to say how much she wanted a packet of biscuits, and it was made very clear to us in the shop that her selection was chocolate chip biscuits. I can only wear style cookies uh i wouldn't want to say a brand maryland but something along those lines someone's just walked cycle past on a sort of a party bike and yet when it came to eating the biscuits which actually i hated because i hate hearing people eat they were clearly from the snap of that biscuit there is no doubt in my mind that they were ginger nut biscuits <laughs> that will not do number two i was furious on behalf of jim I can't think of, well, I can't think of many things worse, but I mean, if I was looking forward to a bacon sandwich and my flatmate or housemate 
convinced me to have epoxy pancake with lemon juice and sugar, I would not be best pleased. And it was all just to hide a woman. No. So those are my grumbles. Anyway, have a great week. I am loving the biscuit continuity police. I mean, there actually is a medical condition. Something like misophonia, where people can't stand the sound of somebody else eating. And I think it is impressive that young Keith has the the oral integrity to be able to verify a ginger nut versus a Maryland chocolate cookie. Well done him. You know, Jazza and Tracy and the the culinary, you know, denial that was forced upon Jim for not being able to get his, you know, his mouth around a lovely juicy bacon sandwich and being forced to have some very delicately etched pancakes instead. So I think in terms of our listeners, there's definitely like an anti-Tracy impact on the universe in relation to Jazzer. And I think maybe it's because people are harking back to that idealized world of Tracy taking over as the chatelain of gay grables and people wanting that to happen so much that they just can't cope with the idea of a bit of a a bit of a fumble around at Jim's. The the bacon sandwich pancake great d- debate that, that Keith has taken great offence to. Of course, it was a cunning plan by Jazza, wasn't it, to get Jim out of the house long enough to buy something obscure. I think he once said maple syrup, wasn't maple it? Syrup, Could he go and get yeah. some maple syrup. So that was a cunning plan. But I, I you know, you cannot compare a bacon that sandwich to a to a pancake. I think Keith is is absolutely right there. What 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 I'm really impressed about is the quality of his headphones or is it AirPods or whatever. He's you know he's <laughs> <laughs> what gear does Keith have to be able to distinguish between the sound of a chocolate chip biscuit and a ginger nut? I mean, I doff my cap to you, Keith. Uh, outstanding. And I think is is he a teacher, Keith? I think I seem to remember he's a teacher. Is he? I thought he, should, he was a cybersecurity consultant. Is he? Oh, why, why do I think he's a teacher? Well, um, in that case, he's, if that's the case, he's used to listening then, isn't he? <laughs> I think he's, that's, that's um, why, because he's got some very high-spec kit. Maybe he does covert operations, listens yeah. into all sorts of things to do with showers and Donald Trump. Who knows? But yeah, I think he's it's, it's, something a bit beyond. It's fiber, it's fiber optics inside walls, isn't it? It's extraordinary. Anyway, mm. nice one, Keith. I do, I do like, I do like his his caller ins, Keith. He's they're always rather offbeat, brilliant. All level of genius from Keith. We go to another slightly offbeat call. This is Angela. Well, since I've been listening to the Archers while I've been living in America, which is twenty five years, I think I've lost my British accent, and I'm. Find I talk with a Vorchester accent more than anything these days. <laughs> Not that people here can understand me anyway. It's go. Clary Grundy. What's she what doing you phoning Rosie? in? What's that, what's that Clary? I, I kind of hope that it was, but I can't necessarily definitively tell you that it was. It's just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was so short. <laughs> exactly. It's a total non sequitur. <laughs> every meaning of the word but angela a stunning call one of the most bizarre caller ins i've I've ever heard it was (laughs) was brilliant for its brevity um Mm. left me a bit speechless Uh, so she lives in the states and she she's lost her british accent but she's got a borsetshire accent okay Mm. well we can't argue can we but we need to hear more of it i think to make a judgment angela so do call back in 
Yes, please do, Angela, and let us know exactly where you are in the States. And are you on tractor? Uh, that's the burning uh, question of the moment. Uh, last caller in a row, it's our Glenn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glenn here, uh, recording at home, as unfortunately my location call didn't make it through, but the location photographs will still are still on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page. Well, turning swiftly to the archers, after the week of three men behaving badly, we had the week of three women trying to do good. And the first of those women was, of course, uh, Kirsty and her attempts to find the, the boys. Um, I think if she's really serious, the sensible thing to do would be to go to the police and offer to act as a mole, uh, go into the prison, talk to Philip and get as much information as she could and pass it on to the police. But I suspect that sort of thing only happens in line of duty and so on. Um, turning to Helen, who was trying to help Kirsty, well, she didn't really help, did she? She was sort of trying to shut down Kirsty's behaviour rather than listening to what Kirsty was saying and trying to respond to that. So, uh, well, fairly typical of Helen, I'm afraid. Um, no gold star there. And finally, Shula. Well, I'm going out on a bit of a limb, probably. I think Shula did quite well. Um, yes, her visit might not have happened in real life for many reasons. But she went. She ascertained Philip didn't want spiritual counselling, pointed that out to him. Uh, she ascertained that he was just trying to get information from her, pointed that out to him, refused to give it, and tried to get him to talk about himself and what he'd done. And he refused. And... I hope uh, she takes the insults he threw at her at the end as a badge of honour rather than anything else. So um, two claps to Shula from me. So that's all. Um, thanks for the podcast. Stay safe, everybody. Goodbye. Speak to you soon. I really hope those virtual claps that Glyn gave Shula aren't an indication of any other kind of claps she may have had in the past, given her racy experiences and <laughs> hedges. Um, I think in terms of... Helen not getting a gold star. I think that's really unfair. I think for once Helen was being super structurally helpful to Kirsty and advising her that she really needs to focus on getting her job back, thinking about the future, and also highlighting that it's not particularly wise to be apprehending random people in bus shelters, especially if Victoria is hanging around observing because we don't actually know um, what's happening with Victoria and the other gang masters who are all connected because there's also an Albanian guy called Artem or something, or that could be somebody from Strictly Come Dancing, but there's definitely an Albanian guy in the mix. <laughs> <that>. um, but, <laughs> let's just mix up these different, you know, entertainment <laughs> areas, Strictly Come Dancing and gang masters. Why not? Um, well, we, is, we've, we've got a big, we've got a bigger, we've got a bigger audience than Strictly anyway. Of course we do, of course we do, darling. Yeah, yeah. But I think you know, going back to Helen, I mean, Helen's been through the court process. Helen must understand the impact that interfering with material witnesses can have. Her own mother was banned from acting in her defence, and you know, was called as a as a prosecution witness. So if you're going to listen to anybody, I think. For once in maybe a lifetime, Helen should be a go-to gal in relation to criminal proceedings. And Kirsty was horrible. 
and basically brought up the Rob situation in a really unfair way. So I actually think that Kirsty gets, mm. if, if, if it is possible to get negative stars, like maybe a black hole, Kirsty gets my black hole of the week because she was really horrible to Helen. But I think I might be on my own <laughs> with that opinion. No, I completely agree with you, actually. I do. Uh, I, I thought uh, Kirsty was, was was bang out of order. And uh, as much as it's galling to accept, I thought Helen was correct. And I think she she uh, has been denied her gold star by Glyn, I have to say. Um, I'm no great fan of, of Helen's, but she was right. And I squirmed when Kirsty was applying that emotional blackmail concerning Rob. Um, I, I just think, I'm not sure Kurt, this whole Kirsty going off and looking for the lads really rings true. I, 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 just, I just don't think it's she's had a plausible response yet to what's happened. And I know everybody will say she's in denial and all that, but there hasn't been a moment where she's actually sat down and contemplated and reflected at length about what's happened and the implications. And I think it has um, echoes of Emma manically going around with her begging bowl when she wanted to try and save um, save that house sale. Um, so, no, I, I, I think Kirsty needs to have a damn good sit down and, and, a, and a talking to from somebody, really, because, she, yes, she's getting on my wick. Um, so, no, Glenn, you're wrong about Helen. We, I think we've agreed on that, haven't we? Uh, I don't know about you, Roy, Phil, but I, I, and he praised Shula. Um, he said he, she did quite well, which is praise indeed, because most people have put the boot in about Shula. Although not everybody, I did notice that Angela Dobb on on Twitter said that Shula is many things, but she is not a bad-tempered cow. She is someone that has seen through Philip, like Jim. She saw a slave master, a manipulator, a monster. Yet she says his helping the homeless story seems to have softened some attitudes towards him on the tweet along. So there is some support for Shula out there, and uh, Glynn's one of his one of her backers. So he's given a did he say two claps for Shula? Didn't get three. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the end of the caller in us, Rosie P. Uh, do we have any emails with an H? We do. We have a very lovely email from Vicky Cole. Oh, I love me some Vicky. Who I believe is one of your biggest fans. Is that right? No, I'm her biggest fan. Utterly lovely, charming woman is our Vicky Cole. Very jealous of Mr. Cole over there in Colombo. Uh, he's a very lucky man. What's our Vicky got to say for herself? Well, it's it's short and sweet, Royfield. I imagine she's tall and sweet. Um, but the email is titled, <laughs> Great Episode. And it says, just listen to the interview with Charlotte. Really enjoyed it. Smiley face. Hope you and yours are all well. Love V with an X. Ooh. 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 Oh, blimey. So, so Shula gets two claps from Glyn and you get one X from Vicky. <laughs> As I said, she's a lovely woman, is our Vicky. And so is Charlotte Higgins, uh, the um, head of arts over there at, at The Guardian. And uh, she gave me an hour of her time last week. And it's been a lovely, I've had a couple of emails and uh, on social media, people have been very complimentary of the, of the interview, the conversation that we had. And uh, there was a scoop in there that um, Charlotte is going to take up the Nancy Banks-Smith 
um, role at The Guardian of being uh, every month she's going to write a, a little column, a little roundup of the last month in Ambridge in, uh-huh. in The Guardian. And so she's got big shoes to fill, but Charlotte um, not only is a wonderful writer, but she's a great fan of the Archers and has been her whole life. So uh, I think the, the column is in good hands. Yes. Uh, and uh, another little scoopette, not as big a scoop as that, but it's a scoopette, is that um, Charlotte is going to, uh, we're going to do a little special, uh, maybe not as long as an hour, because that was more last week's uh special show was really about her long form article that she did on the 70th anniversary of the archers but she's gonna pop along to dumby dum once every three months it'll only be like 20 minutes or in length or so and do a little special one-off with me and she'll just talk about the last two three months in ambridge we'll say but it won't be an hour long uh and uh she's a great fan of the podcast and um you know, and just uh, and of all things in terms of fandom to do to do with the archers and stuff. So, so oh, there great. you go. So Charlotte Higgins, uh, welcome to the team. Uh, say she's not going to be on on the on the regular shows, but just going to like, little twenty minutes once every three months, uh, just talking about uh, the last few months I, in Ambridge. I've yet I've yet to listen, but I, I shall look forward to that, Royfield. Uh, she she's very illuminating. I just go through the regular Royfield beat. So I just mention Teenage Rebellion, Radio Four, Sense of Escape from Birmingham. But she actually talks about stuff uh, in, uh, in in great detail. Uh, she was a, a lovely person to talk to. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Uh, here's another lovely person to listen to. It's our Sue Lee. people it's Sue here Queen Otar on the Twitters with this week's social media roundup what a splendid week in the archers oh and Royfield how lovely to have an added bonus dumpty dum thank you so much for that I for one am really looking forward to the monthly column in the Guardian or the Groniad as we know it for its spelling mistakes by the lovely Charlotte Higgins who was great to listen to so we're back, as we always are, every time, talking about whether it's four episodes, five episodes, six episodes. It's been almost a year, and there's loads of us who still don't remember. Melly got caught out on Sunday. I get caught out every Friday. There were other people in other Archers groups saying that they preferred four out of six, as they thought it gave a better quality to the writing. What do you think? I, I Please give us six. Please, I want to go back to it. As Heidi said, she's worried about missing a Friday or Sunday episode, and I so relate to that. Tony Gilmore raised an interesting point that for a bit less than 50 minutes each week of actual broadcast time, he spends several hours listening, including podcasts, looking, talking on Facebook, listening to the repeats. And I think we can all relate to that. He does his gossiping about Ambridge rather than real people in the real world. And it makes him think about how characters react and what their motivations are. I've really felt the same since Finding Dumpty Dum. And I think it's a really good thing that we get the opportunity to talk about them. Lots of discussions around chocolate biscuits, hobnobs. Do you want to give your builder a flapjack? We had a boiler engineer and a dishwasher man came to us on Friday. We saw more people that day than we have done in weeks. And they seem very happy with the Jaffa cake. In our latest episode of Orange is the New Black with uh, Philip in prison, finally, we had Sean Coleman saying that Philip is delusional. There was much discussion about Shula. Should she have gone? Was it a pastoral visit? Should she have taken somebody else to supervise? Somebody like Alan? And what role was she there in? Mia Fox had her head in her hands, like many of us saying, oh, Shula, if I had a pound for every time I'd said... Oh, Shula. All in all, it was an excuse to get her in there. Uh, Rob pointed out about Philip that he was a Hunt supporter and so therefore was clearly a badden. We loved Vince. Many people think Vince and Lizzie are just a lovely match. Uh, and there a, was a lot of talk about whether he's going to be the new Jack Woolley. Or could it be that the scriptwriters came up with a better idea? Garolyn posted a lovely Bernie Saunders crocheted doll. Could that be going in the textile exhibition? Would Russ be able to get the proceeds? Could somebody crochet them up and be selling them in the gift shop? Oh, that was gorgeous. And then Carolyn Wright brought us a new Dan and Doris episode. So have a look at that if you haven't done. 
But we were left with huge numbers of questions, some of which were answered, some of which were not. Is Elizabeth the new voiceover for M&S? Why was the chainsaw mentioned so many times? Is it something that we need to be worried about? Why would it be mentioned? Do we remember the chainsaw episode back in the day when David was responsible for... It doesn't bear thinking about. Where did half a million quid go that Ruth inherited from Heather Pet? Is it in a pension? Did they stick it down the back of the sofa? What happened? And why does so many decisions need to be made on rewilding? Is there anything that's so urgent that needs an executive decision to be made there and then? All these questions. Well, I'm sure we're going to carry on having lovely discussions about them. And indeed, this time next week, you'll be having Witherspoon, who's doing a special guest announcement on all of the weeks, all of the months where we have five week month. So we can look forward to lots of things from him as well as his normal column. So I will talk to you in a month's time. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for that, Sue Lee. Um, as always, what an amazingly uh, concise, erudite, uh, but also a bit punchy uh, social media roundup. Quentin Rayner, mm. are you ready? Oh, God. Uh, this, yeah, this is uh, such I, a nerve-wracking moment. In the, well, in the I feel like you're in your corner and, and your seconder is uh, is our Rosie Porty. She's up toweling you down and say, come on, Quentin, yeah. you got this, you got this. <laughs> so I'm going to ring the bell. Ding, 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 ding. Let's go. Tweets of the week. Yeah, this has got such a sort of status now, hasn't it? The way that Peter has now built it. Um, I hope I do it justice. I think I will. Uh, he's a bit fed up that uh, you excuse Philippa. These onerous duties, you let it get away with just three Archer's headlines the other day, which was outrageous. She, she should be tested like Peter and I to deliver three tweets of the week. Um in time-honoured fashion, I, I shall give you my selections for this week, which are slightly different because they're quite visual. So um, that'll till, work well on a podcast. Then ah, see, this is this is the clever bit. You see, they are ah. because the way I'm going to do it, you will get it. Okay, so two of the three have photographs. Okay, associated with them. So I will describe the photographs. Okay, so in bronze position. From Rob Titchener at Titchener R, he submitted a photograph on Twitter of a couple in bed. Uh, I would say they're in their mid-60s. He's bare chest. They're both sitting up in bed. She is leaning back, uh, looking up at, up at him and laughing broadly with a broad smile on her face. They are both wearing blindfolds. So with her looking up at man with his bare chest, hairy chest, Rob has written these words. Was it good for you, Vince? <laughs> it, it, it is. It is Vince, isn't it? <laughs> I bet it was. Trust. I bet he got in there. <laughs> you, you bet it was what? Trust, Russ. Yeah, I trust, think Russ yeah. knocked into bed. <laughs> yeah. So well done, Rob. That's, that 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 gets bronze. I mean, the quality this week that only gets bronze. Amazing. Mm. Okay, now um, these are just words for for silver. Um, and Shula's featured largely, hasn't she, this week? So we've got to have a at least a, a Shula tweet or two. And in the silver position, uh, a, a big friend of the podcast and the big tweeter is uh, Lucy Saunders PR. And uh, she, in fact, was replying to a tweet from from R. Kerry. And Lucy wrote, 
she's my bête noire. I always worry about being thought to be like Shula. In any circumstances, think, what would Shula do? Then don't do it. So that's <laughs> in silver. It's a nice one, Lucy. But in gold, and again, we have another photograph. Okay, folks? Uh, can, I just, just, can I just hold you there, uh, Quentin? Because Peter delivered two excellent ones yesterday. It was the third one that let him down. So let's hope mm. that you land the third one. That's pressure. This, no it? pressure. Oh, but it's breath, all Quentin. on this third tweet, sir. So it's all on the delivery, isn't it, really? Um, so here we go. So another photograph, okay? This is of former President Donald Trump. On, a, on the phone. He's in an intense phone call. He's got his little f orange face all scrunched up. He's talking away. And above this photograph of our Donald on the phone are these words submitted by Sally Ronaldson, whose, hash, whose handle is at Milonfred, who's one of my favourite tweeters. She has written, Is that Schuler Donald here? You're my last hope. No one else. <laughs> will listen to me. That's the gold tweet of the week. Very good. <laughs> yes. Yes. You nailed it. Well done. Oh, goodness for that. See, I've, I've set the bar high for, for Peter next week. Good. That's the main thing. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So there you are. Photographic tweets of the week. That's a new oh. one, isn't it? Also, you know, the, you can put contemporary American politics into a tweet as well i yeah. think you win on every level there you go yeah, yeah but it's, it's down to the very very funny tweeters we've had so that's a rob lucy and sally this week well done all and well done to you quentin i think you can you. fairly safely say that you vanquished peter fickling thank you that's that's victory indeed yes right folks dumdydum.com go there it's got tractor i haven't really talked about tractor in this episode but tractor is the facility whereby you can go on to the site you can register and uh, basically pins you to a great big map of the world and uh, the whole idea of that is that uh, when the coronas are over when there's no more covid we've all got the vaccine and we're all tip top and tickety boo and we can all get out of our houses you can go and socially mingle with fellow fans of both the podcast Dum De Dum, but more importantly, of The Archers. So it's our social networking group for people that love a little bit of Borsitcher action. So you can see who is close by and you can say hello. And uh, maybe you can go and walk your dogs together, grab a coffee and do things like that together. Now, uh, breaking news, folks. I remember, was it, was it the last podcast i castigated the whole of the continent of africa and south america for having no dumpty dummers in either continent well that's been righted we have somebody in colombia and we have i believe he's our mercenary well that's that's somewhat of a pejorative term he does something in the security industries in mogadishu who i know on the twitters has been known to uh, send in pictures of his dog or dogs in Mogadishu in Somalia um, he's pinned himself to the map so uh, there is no continent on planet earth that doesn't have at least one dumdy dumber so uh, just imagine it's 2022 the coronas are a distant memory and you're just uh, you're on a plane to Colombia to Bogota you get off said plane and you could just go I know I'm gonna get out dumdy dum 
get on tractor and then message our our member there that's how wonderful this whole kit and caboodle is so dumdum.com go there it's got stuff like that also need to um remind you all that uh, we do have a presence on the old YouTubes. We put up all of our Friday Zooms and we've got a whole backlog of them. Backlog sounds a bit boring. We've got a whole library of them. That sounds much better. Whole library of recordings. So if you want to see us talking to, let's say, Jackie Smith just before Christmas or with um, uh, Arthur Hughes, who plays the actor Rory Donovan, uh, you can go onto YouTube. Uh, also, don't forget, folks, this Friday, we speak to Ben Norris, who is Ben Archer, Mr. Blue Eyes. He's got those twinkly blue eyes, handsome as heck, but also he's quite clever too. Very funny chap. Bit of a poet, don't you know it? If you can't make the Zoom call, you can watch that on YouTube at your leisure or leisure, because I am in San Francisco. Uh, so that's dumdum.com. It's got stuff like that. Now, if you give us $2 per show, you help support Quentin in his smoking jackets, Rosie in a... Rosie, what's your kind of frivolous delight that you have over there in, uh, in Portobello in Edinburgh? Well, I'm hoping to save up for a greenhouse. So that would really go, you know, any support that's out there, I would love a greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, though, uh, greenhouses are wonderful things, but not good for recording podcasts out of. Your audio problems there would be legion. So as long as you don't put your mic in there, Rosie, uh, that that's all good. But Rosie needs a greenhouse as she works very hard on the podcast. So um, it means that we, we give everybody who's associated with the show gets a little bit of shekel. Um, also, it means that Jesse, who's put together Tractor and is still doing other things behind the website, he gets a little bit of shekel. And also it means that bills, like to the good people down at SpeakPipe, they get paid as well. So why don't you give us $2 per show? And uh, basically, you get um, a lovely, warm, glowing feeling that you're helping to support, if not your favourite, one of your favourite podcasts. So go on to patreon.com, become a Patreon, and good feelings will ensue. Uh, just whilst we are here, uh, I need to say thank you to everybody for your donations for Unseen. And really, I should have connected this to what I said a couple of minutes ago. Uh, but we are going to unveil the proud recipient of the 70th anniversary script, which has all the actors who are part of the 70th edition episode have definitely signed it. Uh, we are going to pull a name out of the hat on Friday. So that's another reason for you to uh, jump on that Zoom call. Now, uh, if you don't know how to get onto Zoom, you can find the information on Facebook, on the Flick app, or you can DM Dumdy Dum or me on Twitter, and I'll give you the uh, link so you can jump on that Zoom call. But if you have put your name down as somebody who um, has donated uh, to Unseen, you have a chance of uh, getting that wonderful script. So remember, to get in contact, you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on the website, or you can call 203 031 3105 to leave a message. Dumpty Dum founded uh, by, by Twitter and Quentin is very good on the old Twitters. Uh, Quentin Rayner, mm -hmm. somebody would like to follow you on Twitter. How do they do that? 
simply by searching for at Quentin Rayner, Q-U-E-N-T-I-N-R-A-Y-N-E-R. And I look forward to, uh, to some follows and I'll endeavour to follow back. Uh, Rosie Porty, I know you're still relatively new at this whole Twitter malarkey, but you seem to have taken it like a duck to water, haven't you? Oh, gosh, she's, she's on the Ambridge Analytica's pie chart every week for prolific tweeters. She's just taken off. I just, well, the thing is, what's really fun about it is how amazing all the people are. So you just get to kind of get to know people virtually via Twitter and get to know their foibles. And indeed, this week, I was giving recommendations about what to do with your haggis leftovers. Isn't it the Burns night this week? <laughs> Which I just think is added value right there. And if what's, you want to hear more to? about haggis, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, and that's at P at P O R T Y R O S I E, Porty Rosie. So, what's your top tip for haggis? One top tip for leftovers. Uh, we we can um, if if you roll the leftover haggis into little balls, you can then coat them in breadcrumbs, and you can bake them in the oven, or you can fry them, and they make beautiful little um, amuse bouche of haggis. Very tasty. <laughs> doesn't that make you want to? Doesn't that make you want to come back to the UK, Royfield? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Packing my suitcase right now, Quentin. <laughs> Also, Kerry Warbis can be found at Kerry Warbis, which is spelt K-E-R-I-W-A-R-B-I-S. And uh, Pete Fickling can be found quite simply at Pete Fickling. Facebook, there is a lovely community of dum dummers there. And uh, that community is growing by the day, by the hour, by the minute, by the second, folks. Uh, we're always admitting new people there. But you've just got to be nice. That's all we say to you. Just be a nice person. If there is sunshine in your soul, we'll admit you into our dum dum group. So, um, slavers, stay well clear. But if, if you're a good sort, find us on Facebook by typing in dum dum There you go. And uh, that's just about us. Don't forget, uh, this Friday, there will be um, a dum dum on Zoom with our Ben Norris. And uh, it's only leaves me to say it's the play out music. So it's the end of the show. And you know the drill, folks. We play out a little bit of music, something suitably fitting to uh, the diatribe. Sorry, the discussions that we've had <laughs> before. And uh, Witherspoon from the Upper Lower East West Side, he called it, he said, Green Acres, that TV series that started in 1965 and ended in 1971. Mm. So it starts at the peak of American disunion during uh, the 1960s when black people were striving to get their place, when President Johnson was signing those civil rights bills and giving America health care. God, those were heady times. And it ended in 1971 when we had Nixon in power. Tricky Dicky was installing microphones in Watergate. Green Acres, it starred Eddie Albert, Eva Gabor and Tom Lester. It's a classic that every Brit doesn't know anything about. I had to Google it. Quentin, off mic, you said to me that you were part of the writing team for this classic show. Is that what helped get you into TV? Oh, yes. I mean, I was there, obviously, uh, when they introduced Valves. So, uh, Green Acres. <laughs> I was in my prime there, right? Helping to write it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Rosie. 
And now you're a young, mere slip of a lass. You're just a twinkle in your in your father's eye at that I wasn't point. even a twinkle at that point, I don't think, love. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must admit, with us being none of us had heard of this thing. So, and so I don't even know what this theme tune is like, but it better bloody be good. There you go, folks. Let's see you next week for another rip-roaring, barnstorming, block-busting episode of Dumb Dum Dumb. And uh, all of your archers, goings-on, will be discussed by our Pete Ficklin and Auntie Kerry Warburton. Don't forget, this Friday, it's old Blue Eyes himself. Not Frank Sinatra, but it's Ben Norris. Tatty bye. ta a bit. Bye. Bye. Just give me that countryside. No, York is where I'd rather stay. I get allergic smelling hay. I just adore a penthouse view. Darling, I love you, but give me Park Avenue. The chores. The stores. Fresh air. Times Square. You are my wife. Goodbye. Green Acres, we are